like to invite John Wesley to come and do our scripture reading for us this morning. Romans chapter 15, we'll be reading from verse 1 down to verse 7, if you'd follow along in your scriptures. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. Money no get uh, then you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Uh, again, our scripture reading is taken from Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to 7. Verse 1 reads, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached, reproached he fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded, one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. That ye may be with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Amen. Hope you have your Bibles this morning. We'll be following along through Romans chapter 15. We'll be covering verses 1 to 7, and overall, in the passage of Romans, in the section of Romans chapter 12 down to chapter 15 and verse 7 is that portion of the book of Romans that helps us to see what areas of our lives should be transformed by the gospel. It's an opportunity for us to have, as it were, a mirror. You can see, is this the way that I'm acting? Uh, And we had a number of those. I think if I were to look at all of Romans chapter 12 down to chapter 15 and verse 7, I see one overarching theme that continually pops up, and that is the fact that you and I as human beings have a problem with pride. You might have heard him say it several times in Romans 12, to every man not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. We saw last week in Romans chapter 14, Things like, there are gray areas within the Christian life where Scripture doesn't speak, yes, this is the way it should be, or no, this is not the way it should be. All of Romans 14 was dedicated to that. And then as we come into chapter 15, we get get to see him point his finger again at the very fact that just because pride is in my heart, I'm going to do my best to try to show you how I'm right, even though this is a gray area. And I've got to be so careful with this. Pride, it's happening in our lives from the time that we're born when we're just little children. We demand our own way. I want, I want, I want. That's the way we think and the way we act. It's most easy to see with children. You take two children that are two years old or three years old. Two of them see the same toy. Neither of them cares about the toy until they see the other one playing with the toy. And as soon as they see someone else is playing with a toy, I want that toy. That toy is mine. Lift up themselves with pride. And you and I as parents correct them and shape them and mold them. And all that that does is help them to hide their pride. It doesn't go away. It stays there. Because then when they get to about six years old, they might say something like this. Hey, friend, can I play with your toy? 
And friend says no. And what do they do? They come running to mom. Mom, I asked nicely and he said no. All he's done is he's now employed you to help him to get his way. Oh, how pride continues in our heart. We become adults. We don't like to be told any kind of correction, even if it's for our edification. We want our way. We build, as it's been said before, we build our own kingdom. Isn't it amazing that the prayer that Christ gave us as a model prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, not my will be done. And yet my human heart is just so inclined to say, I want my way, my kingdom, let everything be done my way. And far be it from anyone to ever question me. And that's what Romans 12 to Romans 15 has been saying. We come into Romans 15 and it almost will sound like an echo of Romans 14. But he's going to continue on into chapter 15 and verses 1 to 7. And he's going to help us to see that there is a need for us to put down our own pride. Friend, we say, yes, it's obvious and it's easy to see pride in the heart of an unregenerate unbeliever. It's easy to see it there. But let's be honest, it's also there for you and I as believers. That's a part of your sanctification. The longer I'm saved, the more I should be hating my sin, and the less I should be doing it, the more I should be recognizing it. The day's coming, friend. Oh, even so come, Lord Jesus. The day is coming when our glorification will be a real thing. Either it's going to happen with your death, or it will happen in the rapture of the church, and I don't know which one will come first, but even so come, I pray. And in that day, we will be glorified. No more to worry about sin. And I look forward to that day. But until then... You're going to be fighting it. Be fighting your sin, friend. I beg of you, be fighting your sin. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Those are the words of Romans chapter 8. Mortify them. Put them aside. Be fighting the flesh, or sin will be consuming you. And the good news is, the longer you do this, the more you are conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8 and verse 29 helps us to see this. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And so as you live your Christian life and you try to live out these Romans 12, 13, 14, 15 passages, you're being transformed by the Gospel. We're not sticky taping fruit to the tree. We're watching Him do a change from the inside as the righteousness of God is being revealed in me from faith to faith. I'm being conformed to the image of Christ. And one day in my glorification, I will be like Him. And that will be glorious. Never to be affected by sin or any of its ailments. Sickness and death. But instead, the glorification, I will not have to worry about it anymore. But until then, be fighting sin, friend. So we come into Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. What I'll do is I'll read this passage. I'll give you a summary of the passage in one sentence. It's a long sentence, but I'll give you the summary, and then we'll unpack the verses. Let me read Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. I hope you hear an echo from last week's sermon. Ought not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. 
For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that you with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. I'll summarize that passage. I'll put it here on the screen for you. You can see the summary. If I were to summarize those seven verses, it would sound like this. Unity in the church body brings glory to God. And it happens when one believer builds up another believer through carrying his burden, just like Christ did for us. That's those seven verses. If I were to summarize those seven verses, they say this, unity in the church body, that will bring glory to God. You can see that in verses 6 and 7. Unity within the body will bring glory to God. And that unity will happen, verses 1 and 2, when you and I carry the burdens of one another. And those burdens, by the way, look like Romans chapter 14. You believe differently than I do. You are settled in your conscience differently than I am. And I decide that I'm going to carry that on your behalf. I build you up. Those are the words of Romans 15. And the example is found in Jesus Christ. My pride says that I want to look at only my needs. And I want everybody else to look at my needs. I want people to see things the way that I see them. I have studied the matter out, and last week we had a number of different topics that that could flow out into. I have studied the matter out, and I know how it's supposed to be, and now I want you to also know how it's supposed to be. That could be music style. That could be the example given, meat offered to idols. We use the examples of women wearing trousers. Gray areas in the Scripture that Scripture doesn't speak about And yet, if we're not careful, we will be very loud about. Where Scripture speaks, we speak. Where Scripture is silent, we're silent. And so in those gray areas, I can be fully persuaded in my mind, you can be fully persuaded in your mind. And I am to bear the burdens, the infirmities is what he says in verse 1. I'm going to bear that for you. I want to give you the priority in this issue. Instead of me gaining the glory with my own pride, I want God to receive the glory by the unity that's found within the church. I want God to be the one that receives the glory. I want His kingdom to be the one that receives the glory. Not me personally. I don't want you to see how spiritual I am because I've figured out this gray area. Instead, I'm going to do my best to receive you. And that's what he says over and over in these seven verses. Receive one another, for the glory of God is at stake. Friend, I hope you understand that your glory pales in comparison to the glory of God. My glory should be snuffed out in comparison to the glory of God. Far be it from me to take my glory and the things that I know and I love and I am fully persuaded of, far be it from me to push those to the top and push you down at the stake of God's glory. As I outline this passage, I see four different things that we are to look at. You see, pride says, look at me. 
And instead, if I'm not going to look at me, I should be looking at something else. And the passage gives us different things that we can look at. So the first one I see is in verses 1 and 2, Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. What can I look at? I can look at the needs of others. And he uses the word, our neighbors. Keep in mind, this is our neighbors in the faith. I'll talk about that in a moment. Let's read verses 1 and 2 and you can see it. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. I made mention last week that in Romans chapter 14, the only time that he mentions strong and weak is in the opening verses, the first two verses. Same thing in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. Opening three verses, he makes mention of strong and weak. And yet, for 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, he goes another three chapters without returning to this theme of strong and weak. Romans 14, he goes the, the next 21 verses, and he doesn't mention strong and weak. I want to say thank you to the Apostle Paul for not continuing to label people strong and weak. And I'll tell you why. Because logically, if you follow through, if you follow through, some, he says, some will eat meat and some will not. And in that illustration, he said, those who eat meat are strong. Because they understand that an idol is a nothing. We talked about that last week. He went on further and he said, some will drink wine and some will not. And he said, some will do other things that could cause somebody to stumble and some would not. And if you follow logically, it's every time the person who abstains is the weaker person. And I want to go, hang on a second, Paul. I'm fully persuaded in my mind on some of these issues. And I've chosen to abstain, and I feel like that puts me in the strong category, not the weak category. And he doesn't follow through to blame and name. He just says, be ready to carry the weakness, the infirmities for your brother. So it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you find yourself on. I think every single one of us would go, I'm strong in this because I'm fully persuaded. But be careful Because when you say, I'm strong, you automatically point your finger across the aisle and say, that one's weak. And that destroys the very point of the whole passage. Because my goal is to build up, not to tear down. So those of you that are strong, pick a side. You consider yourself to be strong, build up the other one. That's the command. Receive. What's what we saw in chapter 14. Receive him. Bring him in. Don't put him down. Bear his infirmities. That's the word in verse number 1. Bear the infirmities of the weak. Now this is an interesting word. Romans 15.1. The word infirmities here, this is the only place in all of the New Testament that that word is used. Very interesting word. And the word literally means an error that arises from the weakness of the mind. So I, if I'm going to put myself in the shoes of the stronger brother, am looking at my other brother who is fully persuaded in his conscience of this way, I look at that as an error that's a weakness of his mind. And you know what my old man wants to do? My old man wants to fix his error of his weak mind. But instead of doing the fixing, the Apostle Paul says, bear it, carry it. What's that look like? What's that look like? Let's go first century church. 
one brother is fully persuaded, the Apostle Paul falls into this category, one brother is fully persuaded that he can eat the meat offered to the idol, and it does not matter because an idol is nothing, and he can eat it with a clean conscience, and yet he goes to someone else's house, and that other believer cannot, with a clear conscience, eat that meat. So in that day, Paul makes a statement, 1 Corinthians 8, I will not eat meat for the rest of my life. I'll eat herbs if so be. I'll be a vegetarian if it means not offending him. Paul puts aside bacon so that he cannot offend his Christian brother. You know what this is, I'm seeing here? Caring for the Christian brother. And one sister might with fully clear conscience be able to wear trousers and another Christian godly lady with a clear conscience would not be able to. And this one has no right to say, I'm right, you need to come to my side. And this one has no right to say, I'm right, come to my side. Because scripture didn't say anything about it. Instead, what do you do? Bear the burden of the other. Come and worship and fellowship and find common ground and join together and look for ways to build one another up, not tear one another down and not try to impose your way upon the other because your way is coming out of a heart that is proud. I want to caution here. I made this caution last week and it's a very important caution here today. This is not matters of the gospel. Not matters of the gospel. The gospel, you don't mess with that. We're not talking about, well, one person can believe that you go to heaven this way and another one believes you go to heaven a different way. That's not it. No, we don't give way on those. In fact, if you compare here, verse number 2, Paul makes a statement. Look at, look at what he says in verse two, number 2. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Please your neighbor. Find a way to encourage, to please your neighbor. He uses the exact same word in Galatians 1.9, and he says he doesn't do it. On one side, he says, please him. On the other side, he says, don't please him. I'll share it with you. This is Galatians 1 and verse 9. Uh, sorry, Galatians 1 and verse 10. He says, for if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I hope that makes you think. Because in the book of Romans, he said, please your neighbor. In the book of, uh, in the book of Galatians, he says, don't please your neighbor. I said, Paul, which one is it? Do it or don't do it? But the context of each one helps us to see there is a situation in which you will please and there's a situation in which you will not. And the fuller passage for Galatians 1 will help us to see it. Galatians 1, I'll show you the rest of verse 9 and verse 10 as he gives out this statement. This is Galatians 1 and verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Friend, that's far from pleasing him. Somebody messes with the gospel and comes in and said, oh, you better not eat this meat or it's going to cause you to not be right with God. Or someone comes along and says, you need to pray the rosary or you need to get baptized or you need to keep the Sabbath or you need to taboo this type of meat. He's adding on to the gospel. And Paul's words are, let him be accursed. Those are strong words, friend. That's not pleasing at all. In fact, he continues on in verse number 10. Do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men 
For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So in matters of the gospel, there's no leeway. We're not looking for ways to find common ground with unbelievers. Remember the opening words of Romans 14? Him that is weak in the faith. So we're talking in Romans 15, we're talking about matters of weak in the faith. This is gray areas in the faith. You're already a believer. We're talking about gray areas in the faith. By the way, this Christian life, as we think about the fact that I need to lay aside my fully persuaded conscience on behalf of pleasing and building up my brother, that's hard. Did you see the word that was used at the end of verse 2? Please your brother to edification. To build him up. I'm going to build him up by me putting myself down. The gospel road, friends, the gospel road is a hard road. I'm called as a Christian not to stand up for my rights. I'm called as a Christian to lift up other people. I'm called to lift him up. But don't be surprised by this because Jesus said it when he was calling his disciples. Here's what he said in Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus to the disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. If somebody's telling you that you come to follow Christ, your life is going to be wonderful, I'm telling you they're selling you a bill of goods that is not the truth. The Christian road is a hard road. There will be unbelievers who will mock and depending on where you live in the world, may even take your life. And even within the church, we're now seeing there's a command from Romans chapter 14 and now into chapter 15 that if there's a weaker brother on an item of conscience, I'm to give leeway to him and let his conscience take the lead. And I'm going to do that for his edification, to build him up. You say, well, pastor, if the Christian road is a hard road, then that must mean that it's going to be a boring road and I'm going to hate it. No, you've forgotten the words of Psalm 100. Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. For His kingdom is glorious. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence with singing. That's what we did this morning, corporately singing and lifting up His praises. There's nothing boring about that. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. is He that has made us. Not we ourselves. I can't make me. And I can't make another human being. God can do that. He calls all things into existence by the power of His Word. And to serve Him, I can do that with gladness. Oh, let us be His people. We are His people. And we are the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Serve the Lord with gladness. So as I put myself down, I find that there's so much more joy to be found in the presence of Him. I let Him have the glory, not me. I can set aside my pride when I start looking at the needs of others. And then we come back into this passage in Romans 15, verse number 3. There's another one that we can look at. Instead of looking at myself, I look at others and their needs. But then in verse 3, I look at Christ and His example. This is verse number 3. For even Christ pleased not Himself. 
before I go further, can you let those words sink in? Even Christ pleased not himself. The Lord of glory, the one who spoke the world into existence. Colossians 1.16, for by him were all things made. It was Christ who was the agent of creation. He was the one who made all things, and it is by him the one who all things consist. All things are being held together by him who occupied the greatest throne room that you could ever imagine. The Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Unto him belongs all glory and honor and power and wisdom forever and ever. If he stoops, why can't you? If he stooped, see the words that are used here in verse 3. He's our example. For even Christ pleased not himself. He had every right to please himself. He had every right to stay there in heaven and squash every rebellion by man, just like he had done with the angels. He had every right. And yet, took the form of a servant, made lower than the angels, took the cross for you and I. As it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. A quote from Psalm chapter 69 that is repeated many times in the New Testament. Christ went to the cross and he took your reproach. We'll come back to matters of Romans 14 and 15 in a moment, but stop and think about Christ taking your reproach. Reproach, shame. And if you've not thought long and hard about how nasty and ugly your sin is, He bore that. He took all the nastiness and filth Friend, I'm not talking about the righteousnesses that are as filthy rags. I'm talking about the sin that so easily besets you. In the nasty sin, He went to the cross and He hung naked, shamefully bleeding on our behalf. In the words of Paul the Apostle, He bore our reproach. Oh, how insignificant is it as I look at a Romans 14 matter and I say, you don't want to eat meat? Okay, I'll not eat meat. I can set it apart. Why? Because I want to lift you up. I want to edify you. So what will help you, friend? What will help you to stop looking at yourself? Look at your friend and his needs. And even better than that, look at our example, Jesus Christ. Let that one help you with your matters of pride. Set aside your own desires and look at Jesus. Verse number four gives us another one to look at. Look at the scriptures, our comfort. See verse number four. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, and in this matter he points directly back to Psalm uh, Psalm 69 verse nine, which we just saw. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience, and comfort of the scriptures 
might have hope. So the solution to my pride is to look to the Scriptures. You see, I'm so prone to look to myself when I have a problem. I get sick, I take medicine. I get sicker, I go see the doctor. I'm short on money, I go get a job. Or I beg, or I borrow, or I steal. I figure out ways to solve my own problems. I'm cold, I make a fire. I'm hot, I take off my shirt. I'm right about this situation, I'll exert my rightness on everybody else. That's what Romans 14 is all about. Stop with it. Do not destroy the kingdom of God and your brother because of your own pride. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit that dwells within you is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in your brother. Let the Holy Spirit that dwells within you draw your heart to your brother. Look for righteousness, holy living. Look for joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Put aside meat and drink. Those things will destroy you. And oh, how Satan loves to sit in the back and just prod our evil heart and tell us, you're right. Make sure they know you're right. We're not talking about gospel issues. We're not talking about clearly delineated sin issues from Scripture. We're talking about those gray matters. Be careful. And the Scriptures will help us to see that this is not at all about me. Remember what we said last week? Gospel plus safety plus time equals a church where anybody can grow. You need the gospel, and you need safety, and you need time. And I hear in these verses, in verse number four, I hear time, patience. Patience that comes from the Scriptures. And I hear comfort. You know what comfort is? Safety. Among my brothers and sisters, I may not be where you are, You might be further along in your Christian walk than I am. Maybe that puts me in the category of weaker, but I'm not going to try to impose my will upon you, and please don't impose your will upon me. This is a matter of conscience. I'm not going to ask you to come my way. We're going to give each other safety. We're going to give each other time. And what comes out of it, you see it in verse 4, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We're going to together get better at this. And I love the words of verse 5 because he tags on and uses two words from verse 4 and uses them again in verse 5. The God of patience and consolation will grant you to be like-minded. So we had the scriptures that give us patience and comfort. And then in verse 5, the God of patience and consolation. The word translated in verse 5 as consolation is the exact same word translated in verse 4 as comfort. They're the same word. So the Scriptures that bring you comfort will also be used by the God of comfort to give hope in your life as you grow in these matters of, con- matters of conscience. So do you want victory over your pride? Look at the needs of others. Look at the example of Christ. Look at the Scriptures. And now, verses 5 to 7, look at the glory of God, our life's goal. Look at the glory of God. Let me read verses 5 to 7 for you. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God 
even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, in other words, for this reason, receive you one another as Christ also received you to the glory of God. I hope that you see here in these verses that the glory of God is at stake. So what should you be doing? Be like-minded with one mouth, one mind. Like-minded. You are looking for ways to be together, not looking for ways to be separate. And if you go to any Christian forum on social media, you will find a plethora of things to be divided about. Go to the comments section and watch as Christian brothers and sisters shoot arrows at each other and it should not be this way. Say, why is it that they do that? Because it's so much easier. It tickles the heart to be able to say, I'm right. And it breaks the heart of Christ who says, I gave up everything so that I could buy to myself a people who would be united in diversity. You see, unity and diversity is a beautiful thing, friends. Here we have, within our congregation, probably no less than 60 languages are brought together in one room. I love that. Different skin colors and different nationalities, different talk places, and we all come together and with one voice we sing this morning, Hallelujah, what a Savior. We have unity within our diversity. That's a glorious thing. It brings glory to God. We are a body. We're called a body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12. We're a body of Christ. Could you imagine if your body was made up of 206? I say 206 because you have 206 different bones. But could you imagine if your entire body was 206 fingers? There'd be one ugly body. A lot of people would be looking at you funny. You'd have a hard time walking. You'd have a hard time thinking. You'd have a hard time hearing. You'd have a hard time seeing. 206 fingers just makes a blob of fingers. You can't all be the same. Let me hit you with something that might surprise you. Most of you know my dad. I love my dad. Dad and I, I don't think I can find anybody else in the world that I am closer, more like-minded in ministry than my dad. I'm so thankful to be able to serve and do ministry with my dad. But one very top secret thing I'm going to let you in on, there are things, gray matters of the conscience, that dad and I do not see eye to eye on. You might be surprised about that. There are some things that we have just agreed to disagree and we rarely ever visit them. You know why? Because he's fully persuaded in his mind and he has some great biblical principles to back him up. And me too, I'm fully persuaded in my mind and I have some great biblical principles to back me up. And you know what we don't do? We don't sit across the table and try to hammer our way across. And you know what that does create for us when we don't hammer each other? It creates unity within our diversity. And guess who gets the glory for it? God does. God gets the glory when there's unity among our diversity. Could you imagine if God only permitted Christians to be one type of people group? And if you listen to the right people, some people would say only, it must be only a European Christian, Christianity that we have. And I want to take that thought and just pitch it right on its ear because sometimes European Christianity is a mess. 
Could you imagine if, only, if God only let white German neo-Nazis be followers? We would be repulsed by that. And yet He draws to Himself people from every nation, from every tongue, from every tribe, from every clan, from every people group from all over the world. 16,000 different people groups across the planet. And He brings them all together to sing with harmony. You see, when you sing, you have different voices. And He brings them together to sing with harmony. Great is our Lord. And His glory is raised to a brand new level. This is a glorious thing to have diversity. And so as we have matters of the conscience, some can think one way and some can think another way, and none of us imposing on the other. Instead, we are lifting each other up and building each other up by bearing the infirmities, the weaknesses. I think He's wrong. It's a weakness of His mind. But I'm going to bear that with Him and I'm going to lift Him up. Oh, this is for the glory of God. So verse number 7. Wherefore, receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Just like Christ received you and I, we should be receiving one another to the end of the glory of God. Now the glory of God is already infinite. We cannot do anything to make God's glory bigger. His glory is already infinite. And yet, there are some who have not yet seen the glory of God. I'll illustrate. For 10 years, I had the privilege of flying in Papua New Guinea. 2009 until 2019, I flew a Cessna 206 here in Papua New Guinea. Some of you would remember that. Some 2,000 flights I got to fly, most in the Gulf province. Whenever I would have a new passenger with me, somebody that had never flown with me before, if I was in the area, I usually wanted to show them one of two things. There were two things in the Gulf province that I wanted to show off because I just thought they were way cool. One of them was just south of Kaintiba. If you came out of Kaintiba, you'd see Tawa off to the left, and you keep going south from there where the river comes from Tawa and joins the river from Kaintiba, there's a place where the river disappears underground for several hundred meters. It's a limestone cave. The river goes underground, disappears, gone. And then it comes back out of a limestone cave several hundred meters down river, comes back out. You don't get to see that every day. And so whenever I would have a passenger with me that had never been that area before, I would be, hey, you want to see something pretty cool? And we'd fly over there and have a look at it. The other one was the opposite side of the Towery River, a couple of miles away. If I was coming out of Kanabea, you could come out of Kanabea, shoot up over Kamina, and then just to the south of Kamina, on the right-hand side, was a place where the Wena River would come down and join the Towery River. Now, the Wena River was the river that was flew, flowed, flewed, right behind my house in Koriranga. The Wena River comes down, and where it drops into the Towery, it's one of the most magnificent waterfalls you've ever seen in your life. Probably easy 100-meter drop. It doesn't hit anything on the way down. It just, and I'm talking about, it's a big river. And it just dumps, and there's certain times when you can see a rainbow in the mist of that waterfall as it comes down. I'm, I've never set foot at the bottom. It's deep jungle. I've been told there's crocodiles at the bottom that eat anything that come down the river. <laughs> Living in Kodidanga, that was our way to get rid of rubbish. Not mine, but everybody else, right? 
throw it in the river. It's gone. <laughs> Nothing ever came back upriver. That waterfall took it all. There was only one angle, though, to see that waterfall. It was up inside of a, a, a gorge, and you had to see it from one certain angle. If you didn't get it as we passed by, you would miss it. Those two things have continual glory in and of themselves. The one has glory, and by the way, today has glory, none of us are looking at it. The other one has glory, but none of us are looking at it. But on those times when I would fly by with a passenger and point it out to them, the one would be out the left, the other one would be out the right. The one on the left, in order for them to see it, I would have to kind of bank the airplane and we would do a bit of a semicircle around it and we'd point it out and they would always, every time, people would take pictures of it. Or the waterfall out the right side, they'd take pictures of it and they would just, the whole time we're going by, they'd just look at it, just amazed at that waterfall. And you know what was happening in that moment as I was flying by? You know what I was doing? I was pointing them at the glory of the waterfall. The glory was always there. It doesn't go away and come back at certain times. It's always there, and it's full of its glory. But as I would come by, I would say, have a look there at that glory. You need to look at that. If you're not looking, you're going to miss it. And you and I as believers are called to point everyone's attention. The very reason for which you were born is to give glory to God. And your entire life is meant to be a signpost that points at the glory of God. For some people will turn their eyes away, or some may just walk by and never notice how glorious He is. And your responsibility as a believer is to point people at the glory of God. And you know what is the enemy of pointing, the pe you're pointing people to the glory of God? Pride. Your pride will hold them back because you want them to see you. Oh, stay away, brothers and sisters. Point them at Jesus. Point them at God. Let them see His glory. And they may just get a glimpse of how awesome He is. And in so doing, friend, the Gospel will be transforming your life. Amen. Father, I pray that our lives would be lived for the glory of God. Your glory fills the throne room, never diminished in a moment. And the day will come, Father, when we, the billions who have ever lived around Your throne with bent knee, will cry, holy, holy, holy. And we will, for eternity, sing of Your praises. But while we're on this earth, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to point people to Your glory. Lord, I thank You that You have sent Your Son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. I pray that we would not, even for a moment, entertain a thought to draw glory to ourselves. Father, thank You for Your grace upon our lives. May Your name be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name, Amen.